I'll invite you to take uh, your copy of the scriptures and to turn to John chapter 5. This is the part of our uh, time together where we uh, spend time in the scriptures and trying to hear what would God have to say to us this morning? What message does he have to hear? Or do we have to hear from him? Because we desperately need um, revelation from the outside, revelation from God to reveal to us what he's like and what his heart is um, and, so that, and what's true and right and what's beautiful and good. And then we can align ourselves with his revelation. We believe the scriptures are inspired by God. So we're going to take a few moments here to, to come under this teaching of scripture in John chapter 5. We then take a few moments, what we call connection time, an opportunity for us to process, connect with one another. Uh, what, what did we hear? Um, grab your kids if they're over in the kids wing and we'll respond with worship music as well as some parent and child dedications this morning. Uh, to w- respond in worship to what God um, has communicated to us. So the passage uh, this morning is in John chapter 5, beginning of verse 31. Now the context of this, and we're working our way through God, the gospel of John. The context of this is that, um, well, the, the entire context of, of the first half of John is organized around these signs that Jesus has performed that these miracles, miraculous signs that point to something. They're signs, John says, that point to what to who Jesus is and what he's like. They're not just um, displays of power for their for its own sake. They're not just um, so he heals a man at Bethesda's pool in the beginning of John chapter five. Is the immediate context of this passage, this teaching, this conversation that we're going to look at this morning. He, but the miracle isn't just about the man who's been an invalid, who's been unable to walk for 38 years, being healed and being able to walk. It's not, that's not just the point. The point isn't that Jesus did that. The point of the miracle is to reveal something to us about what Jesus is like and who he is and what he's all about. And so John says, these are signs. They're, 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 they're markers. They're directional arrows that are pointing us towards something, towards the identity of Jesus, what he, who he is and what he's all about. And so the context here is that it, uh, this man was healed on the Sabbath day. Jesus went out of his way to heal this man on the Sabbath day. We talked about this um, two or actually three weeks ago um, where Jesus um, did um, medical work, if you will. He heals a man on the Sabbath day. Now, the Jewish religious leaders had, uh, knew that God had given them a rule about the Sabbath day, that he said, don't work on the Sabbath. And now, religious leaders in, in the day, and some today, love to take these rules that God has given us, these commands that God has given, and say, well, we don't want to break that command, and so we better not even get close to breaking that command. So let's make another rule around that rule, just slightly a little bit bigger, um, so that we don't want to get close to the line of crossing the line that God has given to us. So let's make one a little bit bigger so that we don't cross that fence. So, so we don't, let's make a rule that's a little bit bigger. And then uh, over time, they add another rule, and then they add another rule, and, and all of a sudden, you've got rule upon rule upon rule when God only said, don't work on Sabbath. They said, well, you can only take a thousand steps on, on the Sabbath, and you can't carry anything on Sabbath because that would be work. And so 
Jesus didn't break uh, the Sabbath. Jesus broke their rules about the rules about the rules that were putting barriers that were that were creating barriers for people to come to God that were creating uh, burdens on people that were heavy that God never intended. And so Jesus says, uh, you know what? On the Sabbath day, my father is working and I'm joining him in his work. To which all the Jewish leaders said, you're making yourself equal with God. And we saw last week in the conversation that ensued that Jesus is saying, yeah, that's right. You're understanding that this sign that I did at the pool of Bethesda about healing this man and doing it deliberately on the Sabbath day and telling him to pick up his bed and walk is deliberately me declaring to you that I and the Father are one, that we're working and that we're always at work. And I've come to do the Father's work and I've come to do the Father's will. We talked about that last week. Now this conversation continues in verse 31 of John chapter 5, where Jesus says this, and these are all Jesus' words in this passage, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, this is John the baptizer, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I gave testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you for you do not believe the one he sent you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life these are the scriptures that testify about me and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life i do not accept praise from men but i know you i know that you do not have the love of god in your hearts i have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, How are you going to believe what I say? This is God's word. All right, this is another tough passage, I'll be honest. It's another tough passage, but we're going to work hard this morning to see what God would have for us. This this passage, in its uh, essence, is about witnesses. About witnesses. We know that eyewitness testimony over the years has held up in court, right? An eyewitness, a witness in a court case. Uh, Their job is just to say what they saw. Just tell what you saw. The the witness's job isn't to uh, build the case, isn't to connect all of the different pieces into one logical argument. A witness's job is simply 
to say what you saw. Tell what you heard. Let, me, let us all know what you know. I thought uh, on Friday I was going to become a witness. Um, we were in downtown Toronto, and we were walking along, and I saw a bike, a bicyclist, get hit by a car. And I thought for a moment, and I said to everyone around, did you see that? No one really did. Um, but I saw this bike get hit by a car, and he kind of went, he didn't go flying, but he fell off his bike because he was hit by a car. And uh, I thought, oh man, here's a perfect sermon illustration. I'm talking about witnesses, and I've just witnessed an accident. I've just witnessed a bicyclist, but then he got back on his bike and rode off. And so I'm real, my, my testimony, my, my, the, the thing that I saw wasn't needed in a court of law because he was fine, I guess. But a witness takes what they saw or what they heard and what they know, and they turn that into a testimony to testify to the truth, a communication of what they've seen and heard. Now, it's interesting. The New Testament is written in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, the words, what we translate witness or testimony or testify are all the same root word. It's actually the same root word as the word martyr as well. But this root word, this, this word in Greek is used over 200 times in the New Testament. And over 70 of those times are in John's writing. So John, the Apostle John, Jesus' best friend, wrote this biography of Jesus that we call the Gospel of John. He also wrote three short little letters, which we call 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And he also wrote the book of Revelation, which ends the Bible. So over 70 times, though, John talks about, uses this Greek word, the very just the volume of the number of times that he's talking about being a witness and testimony and testifying tells us that we need to pay attention to it. John actually tells us that he is writing this entire gospel as a testimony. He's writing this entire gospel as an eyewitness account of what he has seen and what he's heard. And he's saying, I'm just laying it out there for you. To testify to the truth. He says in John chapter 20, and I quote this almost every week that we're in John, because he tells us why he's written what he's written. He says, and why he's chosen the signs to record that he's chosen to record. He says in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. He did many other remarkable deeds. He did many other miraculous um, deeds. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. He says, but these are written so that you would believe. And that by believing, you would have life in his name. Jesus, or John says, the reason I've recorded the signs that I've recorded, the reason I recorded the, 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 the sign of healing this man at, at Bethesda, the reason I've recorded the sign that we're going to talk about next week of feeding 5,000, he says, the reason I've recorded these signs is that, that they, would, they would be a sign, that they'd be an arrow on a sign pointing at Jesus and who he is and what he's all about and what he's like and what his heart is and what he loves and that you would see that and you would be, have your attention directed to Jesus, not to the signs themselves, but to Jesus. You would see him for who he is and what he's all about and that as you see him, that you would believe in him. I'm giving you my testimony. I've seen this. This is my eyewitness account of what I have seen and heard 
And this is what Jesus has taught me. And now I want you to believe. And that if you would believe, you will find salvation. You'll find life. You won't find duty and you won't find religion. You won't find joyless, dry orthodoxy. You will find life. You will have life to the full. You will have eternal life. That you will have a new quality of life that you have never had before. And so in these first 12 chapters of, of John, he's recording these signs so that he would be a witness to Jesus so that we would believe. So in this passage, I want us to see three witnesses, two questions, and one calling. Three, two, one. Go. Three witnesses, two questions, with one calling. Three witnesses. Verse 31. Let's read through this again. Verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. The first witness to Jesus, the first one who's testifying to the truth about who Jesus is, is John the baptizer, the forerunner of Jesus. The one actually that Isaiah 40 that I read earlier at the beginning of our service is talking about. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's talking about John the baptizer coming, the last Old Testament prophet. In We read in John chapter 1 that the Jewish leaders sent a delegation to John to check him out to see, man, you're getting quite a following. You're a strong voice. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one to whom we have been waiting? Are you the one whom the whole Old Testament, Moses and the prophets, and all all of the Old Testament has been pointing and anticipating? Are you the one? John 1, there, there, was a, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives every, light to every man was coming into the world. So John came as a witness to testify that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the, the Savior of the world. The Jewish leaders came to him later on in chapter um, 1. And when we say, it says in verse 20, he says, He did not fail to confess, but always continued to confess, I am not the Christ. And then a few days later, or the next day, John saw Jesus walking towards him, and he says, Behold. Remember this? This was back in, I think, January. Behold. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Mark chapter 1 records for us more about John. John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And Jesus is saying here in John chapter 5, John, the baptizer, has borne witness about me. He is that Old Testament prophet. He is that forerunner. He is that voice in the wilderness. And he has said I, that I am the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world that will take away the sin of the world. And you, Jewish leaders, you were okay with his ministry for a time. 
He, you were okay with him coming and calling people to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You were okay with that, but you were not okay with the one to whom John is pointing. John is just an arrow on a sign. He's a witness. He's pointing at me, and you're not okay with me. John wasn't the thing. He was just pointing at the thing. John the Baptist is an arrow pointing to Jesus. He's continually saying, I am not the Christ, but prepare the way because the Christ coming is coming. And he says, here he is, and it's Jesus. He takes away the sins of the world. He's the one who gives new life. Verse 34, not that I accept human testimony. I mention this, that you would be saved. He says, I don't need human witnesses. I have life in myself. He's just said, as we saw last week, I have life in myself, and I'm trying to give life to you. I want you to be saved. I want you to know life. I have testimony weightier, weightier than that of John. Or He says, John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy it. He says, but John, John was calling you to seek the kingdom of God. But you're not seeking the kingdom of God. John called you to repent, but you're not repenting. John called you to believe in me, but you're not believing in me. Now, the second and the third witnesses both have their origins in the Father. Verse 36 I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very works that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testify that the Father. Has sent me, and the Father who sent me has Himself con- testified concerning me. You have never heard His voice, nor seen His form, nor did His word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one He sent. And Jesus says, "The second witness to who I am and what I'm all about is the is the 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 works the Father has given me to do, the actions, the deeds, the signs, the miraculous signs that the Father has given me to do are witnesses that I am indeed the Christ." That I am indeed the long-awaited Savior of the world. The signs. He says, but you don't know God. You've never seen God. And His Word doesn't abide in you, doesn't live in you. These strong words that would have cut to the heart of these religious leaders. He says, I've been sent by the Father on a mission. And the signs that I am doing bear witness about me. We've seen this already in John's Gospel. In John chapter 3, one of those religious leaders, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus. And he says, that, he says this, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Even Jesus' opponents knew that he was sent by God because of the signs that Jesus was doing. The works Again, the works that Jesus was doing weren't the thing, but they were signs, an arrow on a sign pointing, witnessing to the fact that he is the one who was to come. Now again, he heats things up, right? He says, you've never heard God's voice. You've never seen him. His word is not in you. Because if you did believe in me, you would see God. You would know God. Jesus has said this, this, these things all the time. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you would believe in me, you'd believe in the one who sent me. If you'd, see, if you'd see me, you would see the Father. And again, this whole conversation is happening because they saw a miracle. They saw the works that Jesus and the Father were doing. 
And he's saying, but you don't see the arrows that they're pointing that I am indeed the Christ, the Messiah. The third witness is one that they should have known. The third witness is the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures that were inspired by God so that the Jewish people would indeed recognize Messiah when he come, when he came. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. The scriptures are testifying. They're bearing witness about Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. These words would have cut to their heart. Right, right around Jesus, the day of Jesus, right, just right around the time that Jesus was born, there was a, a very influential rabbi, uh, uh, Rabbi Hillel. In fact, he was, he was, his, uh, he was very popular. His, his teaching carried weight. It was authoritative. There was, in fact, an entire school uh, of, of Judaism that revolved around Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel said this, and so these leaders would have known this. They, he, he likely would have been their teacher, or at least their teacher's teacher. And Rabbi Hillel says, He who has gotten to himself words of Torah, words of the Old Testament Scripture, he who has gotten to himself words of Torah has gotten to himself the life of the world to come. He who has gotten to himself words of Torah, words of the Old Testament, if you've received the word of the Old Testament, you have gotten eternal life, life of the world to come. And Jesus says, you're searching the scriptures. That's the, the, the word there isn't just study. It's like just to figure out what it means. He's saying you're searching. You're like, you're, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. You're, you're going through it in such detail. You're understanding it. You're memorizing it. You are, you are taking the scriptures really, really seriously. And you think that by taking the scriptures seriously, you will have life. He says, but, but the scriptures are all about me. The scriptures are all about me, and you're not coming to me that you would have life. You don't have life by knowing the Bible. You have life by Jesus, whom the Bible points to. The Bible is an arrow on a sign pointing unmistakably that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, you're reading it wrong. This book doesn't give you life. This book is an arrow that points to me, and I give you life. You see, we can't read the Bible with ourselves at the center. We can't read the Bible with ourselves at the center. When we read the Bible as if it's all about us, the Bible becomes a rule book, a guidebook, an instruction manual for life. It actually becomes a heavy burden. The, the most famous illustration of this, and I use it all the time, but it's just so clear, is the story of David and Goliath. Right? We know this story. David has been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. But he's a little boy. He's like 12. 14. This little kid, anointed by God to be the next king. And he shows up to bring his brother some food who are, fighting, who are part of the army, who are fighting the Philistines. And, and, and the, the Israelite army is up on one hill, and the Philistine army is up on the other hill, and there's a valley in between. 
And every day, Goliath, the giant, the man, the strong guy, the beast, he comes down into the valley and he taunts not only Israel's army, but he taunts the God of Israel and say, who can take me down? Come, come and fight. Let's go mano a mano. Let's go one on one, and the winner wins the battle. Let's not, just, let's not have all the armies fight. You just send your best and come against me, and the winner wins. An Israelite army is, is on the hillside shaking in fear, and no one is willing, no one is courageous enough, no one has the chutzpah to go down and fight Goliath. But David hears the taunts of Goliath, and he says, I'll go. I'll go in the strength of my God. I will go and fight Goliath. And we know the story, right? He, t- he doesn't, the armor doesn't fit, it's too, he's, too, he's just a kid, and so he takes five smooth stones, he goes in the valley, takes out, the, takes out Goliath, severs his head, and it's over. So we know the story. And much of evangelical Christianity today says, you need to be David. If you go strong in the Lord's name, you will, you will, you will conquer the giants in your life. So be brave and be strong, and go, go kill some giants today. And I'm like, man, I'm not very brave. <laughs> and I've got some giants in my life that I'm not sure I can handle. If you read the story of David and Goliath, and you're at the center, you're supposed to be David. You've got to be the hero. That's a heavy burden. And that's kind of condemning for all those times where I'm not brave and I'm not strong and I'm not full of faith. But if you read that story and you see yourself not as David, but you see yourself as cowering Israel who has an anointed king and who has fought the battle for you and has defeated the the enemies that, that were out to kill you, for you, so that you win a victory through his victory. His victory becomes your victory. And if you read the story, David kills Goliath, and now suddenly Israel's army is filled with courage and filled with boldness, and they go and they take the spoil. Do you see an anointed king who's come to kill the giants in your life for you, so that His victory becomes your victory. So that now you can be brave because he was brave. Now you can be victorious because he was victorious. If you read the Bible with yourself at the center, it's condemning. It's a heavy burden. Jesus says to these religious leaders, you're reading it wrong. You're reading it wrong. You're not seeing me in it. They're pointing to me. It's unmistakable. The whole scriptures are about me. If we would come to the scripture with Jesus at the center, even if it's an obscure Old Testament prophecy, and it's like this passage, we're like, what is this about? And then you come to this line, you're like, Jesus fulfilled that. Unbelievable. That can fill you with this great joy and seeing, wow, these scriptures written thousands of years before Jesus came did testify about him. See, the Bible can't save you, but it points to the one who does. 
The Old Testament points to the one who is to come. The Gospels, like John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of the one who came. And the rest of the New Testament just talks about the, the un, unpacks for us all that it means that Jesus has come and that he is coming back. See, it's, it's a very different story if you read it with yourself at the center. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, is preaching, and he says this. He commanded us to preach to the people. This is Jesus. Jesus commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus saying, you don't believe the witnesses. You don't believe John the baptizer. You don't believe the signs that I'm doing. You don't believe the scriptures. And you refuse to come to me. And I want you to have life. And you won't come. John wrote in the prologue, he came to his own, but his own received him not. He says, I have life for you. Three witnesses, John the baptizer, the signs, and the scriptures. All testifying that Jesus is the one who's the savior of the world, who takes away the sins of the world. Two questions. Three, three, three witnesses, two questions. Two questions. Verse 41. I don't accept praise from men, but I, know, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts, beating around the bush. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How, here's the question, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? Short answer, you can't. It's a rhetorical question. The key to understanding this question, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another and yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? Key to understanding the question is verse 43, I think. It says, I have come in my Father's name, you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. See, Jesus came in the name of the Father for the glory of the Father. He didn't come in his own name, and he didn't come for his own glory. And he says, but if someone comes in their own name and thereby for their own glory, you will receive them. You see, when new teachers came on the synagogue circuit, the religious leaders came to assess them. They sent a delegation to John, and now they've sent a delegation to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you prefer teachers who fall in line with everything that you believe and affirm everything you do and everything you teach. You want a Messiah who comes and approves of everything that you already do. You want a Messiah who will come and flatter you and praise you. But Jesus says, you don't know God and you don't know the scriptures. You're trying to fashion a God after your own image, who agrees with everything you already think. I think it was Voltaire who said, God made us in his own image and we've returned the favor. We think we're right, and we think that God must affirm everything we already think. And would God actually contradict what I feel, or what I believe, or what I think? Does he have the authority to do that? Well, he's God. Jesus is saying, how could you believe if you, ex if you value acceptance of your peers over the acceptance of God? He says, you can't. We follow a crucified Savior, remember? Not everything Jesus says is popular. 
Second question, verse 45. Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom you, your hopes are set. Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. So Jesus here is referring to really the entire Old Testament scripture. Um, a kind of shorthand for the Old Testament is Moses. Your accuser is Moses on whom you set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Again, saying Old Testament about me. But since, here's the question, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? If you don't believe the scriptures, how are you going to believe what I say? Rhetorical question again. You see, everything they believed, they, everything they based their hopes on is in the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is saying, if you don't live for God's glory, you won't believe. And if you don't read the Bible with Jesus at the center, you won't believe. And if you won't believe, you won't have life. I'm going to wrap up here, but um, I want to acknowledge one thing as we go to this last point about one calling. And the, the acknowledgement is that if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, you probably don't care about anything I've said this morning. That was kind of like the burden that I was um, carrying it this week as I was preparing for this is like, who cares? <laughs> like, um, and, and we as a church desperately want people to follow Jesus because we believe that he is indeed the Christ, the son of the living God, and that life is found only in him. But if you're not following Jesus, you probably don't care anything about what John the Baptist says, Right? You probably don't care anything about the miracles. Miracles? Like, yeah, right. That happened. You probably don't care about the Old Testament. So why do I say this? And I say it because I think this is the so what of the text. Up until this point, I've kind of said the what of the text. This is what Jesus is saying. Trying to explain a really difficult passage. Hopefully I've succeeded in helping us understand it just a little bit at least. But here's the so what. We have the what and the so what. Here's the so what. You see, we have not talked to John. We have not seen Jesus' miracles. And Jesus didn't offend me when he says, you don't believe Moses. You haven't talked to John. You haven't seen Jesus' miracles. And Jesus didn't offend you when he says, you don't believe Moses. So what's the point? Here is what we are called to, followers of Jesus, our one calling. Three witnesses, two questions, one calling. We are called to take the biblical witness, and we're called to take the historical witness, and we're t- called to take the personal witness, and to take these powerful truths and translate them into the lives of people around us so that we would be an arrow on a sign pointing at Jesus so that we can speak the truth and it would fall on ears that are ready to hear. Three witnesses, two questions, and in this we find our one calling, to be witnesses to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in him we find life in his name. We take the biblical witness. We take the the power of the scripture, all these prophecies that were vividly fulfilled in Jesus these powerful truths that, so, that, that, that describe the human experience so beautifully. The eyewitness accounts of the life and the death 
the burial, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus and the formation of the Christian church. We take the biblical witness and we take the historical witness, the life of Jesus. We take church history and we take personal witness of how this has worked in my life. And we combine them all together and we translate it into conversations with people so that we could be an arrow on a sign pointing at Jesus so that others can have life. Now this is something, this is a calling that's not just for clergy, not just for pastors, but for all followers, and we're not called to this alone. Jesus says in Luke 24, verse 44, he said to them, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead, he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, the Old Testament. He's saying, what's happened in these last few days? You know me dying, rising again? It was to fulfill everything that's written about me in the Old Testament. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I love that. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning here at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The reason Jesus will pour out the Holy Spirit, the power from on high, is for witness. The reason, follower of Jesus, he has given you the Holy Spirit is so that you would witness, so that you could testify to the truth about Jesus. So you could take the biblical witness and the historical witness and the personal witness and translate that into conversations all around us so that we could be signs, arrows on a sign, pointing that Jesus is the Christ and that when you believe on him, you'll have life in his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you do this kind of work in us, that we would be people who are your ambassadors, who, who are just so in love with you and filled with your spirit, that we just love to proclaim Jesus to this world. Because Jesus, we do indeed believe that you are the way and the truth and the life. We believe that you are one with the Father. We believe that you are the Son of God. We believe that yours is the name that is above every name. And that at your name we are called to bow and worship and declare your worth and to receive life and to receive forgiveness, to receive hope and joy and meaning and purpose because you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Father, would you do this kind of work in us as a church family? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.